Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you. Uh, good morning to you. We've got a great program lined up this morning. Uh, this hour, we're going to have a conversation with Duncan Stroik. He is a practicing architect and a professor of architecture at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, he has uh, he's built incredible uh, chapels, and he's been awarded you know for his work. In fact, uh, the Most Holy Trinity Chapel in California being among the examples, but also the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I, I've been there. It's incredibly beautiful, and he helped to design that along with uh, 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 Cardinal Burke. However, he's he was also a part of a program under the previous uh, president, uh, President Donald Trump, to help look at architecture of federal buildings. And we're going to have a conversation today about what is the purpose of architecture, what, especially when it comes to churches. What is it intended to do, and how do they go about the business of designing churches? And he's also been a part of redesigning many churches, in fact, churches that, uh, let's just say, were not as inspiring as they ought to have been. He helped to spice those up. In fact, uh, I've been able to visit one, at least, that he's done. Uh, it is, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So we're going to have that conversation with Duncan Stroik today. It's going to be a great hour this hour, plus uh, breaking news and stories with Emily Alcarez is on the program this morning. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing? Praise God, I am alive. Yeah, I actually go to a parish that Duncan fixed. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Praise God. I never... Now, you, you did you ever see the church before? Not until years after I'd been going there, and okay. I was shocked. So you saw pictures. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think it was the same church. It looks completely different. Yeah. Well, uh, praise God for it. So I think it's going to be fascinating. What is the purpose of architecture, especially from a from a Catholic perspective, a church perspective? What it, What is it supposed to do? What is its intention? And we're going to have that conversation later. Plus, like I said, breaking news and stories. Lots in the news today to talk about. Uh, Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day is going to be coming up here in just a few moments. Of course, Adrian Fonseca is on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Morning, Joe. Uh, so still trouble with the uh, old audition system. I guess yep. it's the new audition system that's giving us trouble. Right, not the old one. But we persevere. We we press on, praise God. I'm going to have a great show. We'll have the What's Concerning Us section. Of course, I was pretty saddened to hear that another D.C. police officer committed suicide. I think it's the second police officer to commit suicide since the January 6th situation on Capitol Hill. Uh, so we'll be discussing that. Plus, Archbishop Corleone brings up an excellent point that I think is worthy of a great conversation, and that is on the worthiness to receive communion. I think it's one of those topics that has pretty much uh, gone by the wayside for most Catholics. We just assume that we can always receive communion, but should we? Have we put ourselves in a position to worthily receive? We'll, we'll look at the, uh, Archbishop Corleone's comments as well as some of the other big topics of our day. So all of that is in the program on this hour. Of course, next hour, if you're able to join us, we'll have uh, we'll have the, not only breaking news and stories, stand of the day, gospel of the day, but we also have our trivia game show that's super fun, and we give out prizes. So Catholic Drive Time has got a full deck today. Let's begin with prayer. I'm, of course, praying for uh, the Station of the Cross and the Radio Apostolate, the Guadalupe Radio Network, and uh, our Radio Apostolate, our team here, our equipment, all the technical challenges that we that we tend to face. I'm praying for your intentions, dear listener. Whatever is on your heart, I'm including those in our prayers today. And then there is a five-month-old named uh, Mary Claire who's in the hospital this morning uh, of a serious injury. We're going to keep her and her family 
in our prayers as well. Of course, anybody else who's in, uh, in dire need today, maybe facing facing death, possibly, we'll be praying for them and for those who for those souls that have passed and for their repose. Of course, we're praying for our our nation, our peace in our country, peace in the world. Praying for the president, especially for his conversion of heart and mind and policies on the non-negotiable issues as a Catholic. We're praying for him, praying for our Holy Father as well, and the Church. Let us go to Our Lady. Let us ask her to intercede on our behalf to whisper these intentions into the ear of her Son, that he may draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now the headlines with Emily Alcarez. Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione is emphasizing the need for Catholics to recover the sense of worthiness to receive Holy Communion. In an interview discussing his recent admonition of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the Archbishop of San Francisco said, quote, Catholics no longer understand the idea of worthiness to receive communion. It's just seen as a sort of token gesture of welcome and belonging. He said that Catholics must first understand the Church's teaching on the Eucharist in order to grasp the significance of the denial of Holy Communion to a public figure. Archbishop Cordelione also said that Nancy Pelosi does not speak for the Catholic Church and that her phrase, right to choose, to describe legal abortion is a smokescreen for perpetuating an entire industry that profits from one of the most heinous evils imaginable. The New York Times is reporting that the response to the COVID-19 pandemic has allowed dangerous drug-resistant pathogens to flourish. This is the result of facilities reusing protective equipment, medical providers testing primarily for COVID and not other pathogens, the increase in the use of ventilators, and the strain on the medical system to a breakdown in infection control of other pathogens. The report notes that a number of different pathogens which are considered to be highly dangerous have been resurgent as hospitals have scrambled to meet the challenges of the pandemic. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are calling this a global health threat. We may not yet know the extent of the spread of many of these pathogens because screening for them remains virtually halted due to the emergency presented by the COVID-19 pandemic. A landmark abortion ruling has been published in Poland. On Wednesday, Poland's Constitutional Court published the rationale for its declaration that abortion on the basis of fetal abnormalities is unconstitutional. The court's verdict prompted a wave of demonstrations across Poland. Protesters directed their anger at the ruling Law and Justice Party, but also at the Catholic Church, which welcomed the decision. Demonstrators disrupted masses while holding signs supporting abortion, left graffiti on church property, and vandalized statues of St. John Paul II, enchanted slogans at clergy. The ruling, which cannot be appealed, could lead to a significant reduction in the number of abortions in the country. Until now, Polish law permitted abortion only in cases of rape or incest, a risk to the mother's life or fetal abnormality. The Supreme Court of Ireland ruled on Friday that a hospital may withhold medical treatment contrary to the wishes of the parents of a child with severe injuries. The court said in their decision, The withholding of treatment to a child does not necessarily require parental consent to be lawful if it is based on a properly made decision as to the best medical interests of the child, 
and it would be contrary to medical ethics to provide the treatment. This decision is based on the case of JJ, a boy whose accident led to a dispute between his parents and the hospital over the best treatment option for him. His parent, John's parents believe that he would want his life continued as long as possible by whatever means necessary, but his medical team thought this would merely prolong his suffering. The high court made John a ward of the court, allowing them to give the boy the treatment they believe to be in his best interest. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Thursday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Blessed Olympia Baida, pray for us. She was born in 1903 in Ukraine. She was a Greek Catholic, as a matter of fact, but she joined the congregation of the Sisters of St. Joseph. She worked in several towns as a catechist and novice director, and with, she worked with the aged and the sick. She taught and helped to raise several young women, and she became the convent superior there in Karev, where the communists worked against her. Kind of a common story here. Communists wanting to suppress the church, wanting to attack the church, and to try to destroy the church. And in this case, with Blessed Olympia Baida, she was arrested for her faith in 1951. She was sent to a forced labor camp in Siberia in Russia. But that didn't deter her from what she felt her vocation was, because when she was in the camp, she continued her duties as superior. She organized other exiled nuns, which there were many, into prayer and support groups. And eventually, uh, the communists martyred her for the faith on January 28, 1952, there in Russia. Pope St. John Paul II would uh, beatify her on 27 June 2001, in Ukraine. Blessed Olympia Baida, pray for us. The gospel comes to us today from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Jesus said to his disciples, Is a lamp brought in to be placed under a bushel basket or under a bed, and not to be placed on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be made visible, nothing in secret except to come to light. Anyone who has ears to hear ought to hear. He also told them, Take care what you hear. The measure with which you measure will be measured out to you, and still more will be given to you. To the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, this is a lot shorter than yesterday's gospel, that's for sure. But uh, I love this imagery of the light, uh, you know, should not be placed under the bushel basket, right? It's supposed to be put out on a lampstand. What could our Lord be talking about here? He's talking about your, the faith that you receive. The word that's communicated, the faith that's communicated, the revelation of God that's given, uh, that's given to you, what are you going to do with it? Of course, this is sort of a parallel passage to Luke's gospel in the parable of the talents, right? Uh, when the master brings his three servants and he gives to one ten, one to five, and, and then uh, he gives uh, one talent to another one, and then he goes away and he comes back and he takes an accounting. What have you done? Well, I took yours and I made more. And the last guy says, well, I buried it in a field because I knew you were a harsh taskmaster. And, and he sort of points his little finger at him and blames him for his troubles, right? Reminds us even further of Genesis chapter 3 when Adam called from the bush, blames the, not only the woman but God himself for his troubles. So we're seeing a parallel passage here. 
what is given, what is given to you, you are expected to use, not hoard for yourself, but you're expected to take this faith, this gift, this revelation, this word given to you, and you are to communicate this to your brethren, to your your families, your communities, your neighbors, your, your co-workers, to the whole world. The primary mission of the church, in spite of what we read in the headlines today, is to communicate the good, the true, and the beautiful for the salvation of souls, the building up of the kingdom, for evangelization. That is its primary mission. And what happens if you hoard it, like a, putting your, your light under a bushel basket and keeping it all to yourself? Well, the Lord is warning us here to, uh, to, if we have ears, we ought to hear, right? We, uh, we ought to pay attention because the measure with which we measure out will be measured against to us. And if we don't have the charity to help the rest of the world come to a knowledge of salvation, as St. Paul would say, then college you whiz, what will that mean for us and our judgment, right? And what we have could be taken away. But if we're generous with it, if we give it freely and give it willingly and give it all the time, boy, He'll give us even more. It's a powerful passage today. Adrian, Emily? Yeah, there's a lot going on in this passage, as short as it is. Sorry. St. John Chrysostom says that the lamp or the light that he is talking about is the light of meditation or prayer. So, of course, we, we know that no good work, no virtue that we have it means anything or is worth anything without coming from prayer. Even if we do all the good exterior acts in the world without prayer, they mean nothing. Um, because they're coming from ourselves and not inspired by God. So um, we have to remember to go to prayer as a way to feed our entire lives, to feed our all of our interactions. And prayer will kindle that light so that we can help others see the truth, see themselves, their own dignity, their own purpose, their identity in Christ. Um, and not if you cease prayer, then that will extinguish your light. So that's what Chrysostom says on this, Adrian. Yeah, and I think it's another interesting point that uh, the Alpha Sat says that the the bed, which is referenced there, is idleness. And so he says you must be active. You have to be diligent with the light that Christ gives you uh, because it needs to be shined, shown to all over the world. It needs to be shown to everyone. So do not be idle. Do not be slothful. Do not be uh, – don't hide it under a bushel. Do not rest whenever our Lord gives you great gifts or else those great gifts will be taken away for even what you have will be taken. Uh, so I think that's very important. All right. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Uh, that is the Saint of the Day Gospel Day. We'll do that again in the next hour. Hopefully you'll join us for that. But coming up after the break, we're going to have the What's Concerning Us section. Lots of stories here. I want to talk about that Archbishop Corleone story. But Duncan Stroik will be our guest coming up in about uh, 15 to 17 minutes from now. Talking about church architecture. No more ugly churches. That conversation's coming. God bless you. We'll be right back. Fundamentalists claim baptism by immersion is the only true baptism because the Greek word baptizo found in the New Testament means to immerse. But is this true? The answer is no, and here are some reasons why. First, although baptizo is used for immersion, it can also be used for wash up, as it's used in Luke 11.38 in reference to the Jewish ritual washings. Second, we agree with our fundamentalist friends that full immersion best expresses the meaning of the sacrament. The Catechism of the Catholic Church makes this clear in paragraph 1239. But that doesn't mean non-immersion baptisms are invalid. In fact, the Didache, a first century Christian catechism dating to around AD 70, gives instruction on how to baptize, stating pour over the head three times. So if you weren't dunked, no need to fret. Immersion baptism is not necessary for a valid baptism. 
I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. We have got some good news. The new version of the Guadalupe Radio Network app is out now. The new version offers big improvements with even more on the way. You'll be able to find and listen to your station no matter where you are and switch between our English and Spanish stations with ease. Missed your favorite GRN show? You can find all past episodes as podcasts on the app. To download or update the app, search your app store for the Guadalupe Radio Network. Be to Jesus Christ. Good morning and welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. Praise be to God. There's several stories here that I want to jump into in the What's Concerning Us, and I'm sure the team has even more. Um, the, the Epic Times has a story out that says, Another D.C. police officer dies by suicide following the U.S. Capitol breach on January the 6th. Uh, very concerning, actually. Says Jeffrey Smith, who had served the Metro Police Department for 12 years, took his own life in the aftermath of the incident. Now, I don't doesn't say, you know, what were the uh, contributing factors or like what was his role there, what was his involvement, or you know, I, I have no idea. All I know is it's it's tragic to see that this uh, this man who served his his community, served his country as a police officer, would take his own life in this situation. It really is does uh, depress me somewhat. I want to pray for for him and for the other officer, apparently, who also took their own life in the aftermath. We'll post a link to the article so you can read more of the details. But unfortunately, they just don't offer a lot of details. Uh, The other officer was named Howard uh, Leibengood, a 15-year veteran of the force, died off duty. But apparently they're saying he also was a police officer of suicide. Brian uh, was the third officer who died, but he he died from injuries he sustained from from attackers during the incident. Um, pretty tragic. I want to say his attackers beat him with a fire extinguisher, if I'm not mistaken, or clubs or something. He, he sustained head injuries. Very tragic, in my opinion. Um, we'll be praying for these three men, for sure. Then there was another story real quick I want to mention, or actually two more stories, then I want to dive into the conversation about Archbishop Corleone. But uh, LifeSite News is reporting Homeland Security Department issues terrorism warning against people who oppose the Biden presidency. So there's still, I don't know, I hear different reports, 5,000, 10,000, something like that. Uh, uh, National Guardsmen still at the, at the Capitol. Still there are fences and barriers and walls and Constantina wire and checkpoints still to this day. Uh Ocasio-Cortez has been on the news talking about how she feels unsafe. There are, she's even claiming that there are members of the GOP who espouse white supremacy and, and whatnot. And, and so there's, there's the, the Department of Homeland Security is saying there's still threats. There's still uh, an immediate threat, and which is why they have to keep up the, the security and the, and the situation there. Of course, we've seen zero incidents on Capitol Hill since uh, the January 6th incident. And it's uh, a lot of people are starting to say, well, what's going on here? Why do we continue to see all of this security when there really seems to be no, no, nothing coming up against uh, the, the U.S. Capitol at all? So the Department of Homeland Security is putting out this statement saying, you know, they're going to keep this threat level pretty high because there are people who oppose the current policies. Um, now, I'm sure that gets spun. If you're a conservative, you'll spin it, or you're liberal, you'll spin it the other way or whatever. But either way, it seems very concerning as we see more and more 
uh, blacklisting and censor- censorship going on out there that we're seeing the Department of Homeland Security uh, make these statements to say, well, if you oppose uh, immigration, which is a part of the article written here, it says concerned with longstanding racial ethnic tensions, including opposition to immigration. So apparently if you oppose the uh, open borders policy, which uh, uh, President Biden signed an executive order on day one to try to impose, then I guess you're you're one of the risky ones. I think that's sort of what's implied here. Either way, I'm praying for peace in our country, and I hope that uh, tensions will simmer and we can find some reasonable dialogue on the issues that concern all American citizens to find a way forward. And uh, it, this, I don't think, helps. I, you know, the FCC issued a warning against those that would operate ham radios to never use them for, for sedition. That was the warning that the FCC issued. I mean, and ham radios are like, wait, what? I didn't realize I was, you know, participating in sedition. I'm just a hobbyist, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's pretty bizarre, to be honest with you. Again, we'll post a link to this article as well. The third one I want to match, uh, mention only in briefing uh, brief here is an article out of Breitbart. It says uh, that the uh, World Economic Forum wants you to know that there is nothing sinister about its globalist master plan. What's funny about this, and the only reason why I'm mentioning this, is because there's a lot of talk about the Great Reset. Well, that word, that comes directly from the World Economic Forum and from Klaus Schwab. That, that's his language. He wrote a book on it, the whole thing. It wasn't like right-wing conspiracy people that came up with that. It was Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. Now they've put out a new video for their 2021 gathering of billionaires and millionaires and powerful people all over planet Earth so that they could get together and tell the rest of us how to live our lives. Uh, but they put out a video to say, oh, we th- don't worry about the scary language of the Great Reset. It's just really about building the better world, about build back better. <laughs> If you watch the video, it's, it's you kind of chuckle because it's kind of funny. And they're trying to be serious, and I'm not trying to take away from the serious issues. But at the same time, it's like it's it, there's, there's some comedy in this. There's in this article, which we will post a link to at facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. It says one of the curious aspects of the video is its criticism that since the pandemic, the ultra rich have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poorer. It says, uh, according to the video, at the beginning of 2020, 1% of the world's population owned 44% of the wealth. Since the start of the pandemic, billionaires have increased theirs by more than 25%, while the 150 million poorest have fallen back into extreme poverty. That's true. Uh, uh, Ask Jeff Bezos how much richer he's gotten. Ask uh, Bill Gates how much richer he's gotten. George Soros, done pretty well. I mean, uh, these billionaires, which is who goes to the World Economic Forum, by the way, uh, these are the people at the World Economic Forum. So it's kind of funny that they're criticizing themselves somewhat here. At any rate, I will post a link to that. Uh, then there's this article that, Emily, you, you, uh, you mentioned in your, he- your headlines. Mm-hmm. Archbishop Cordelione, Catholics must recover idea of worthiness to receive communion. Yes. You know, this is on the coattails of his criticism of of Catholic politicians who support abortion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is an, in, an untenable position. Why? Because the Catholic faith believes in the dignity of human life from conception. And abortion is an intrinsic evil. And this is why 
We ha- this is why the communion issue keeps coming back up over and over and over again, and it's certainly an issue within the Catholic Church where some bishops will, will uphold it and some won't, some priests will and some priests won't, and it becomes a very divisive issue. But ultimately, the Catholic Church teaches. I mean, read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You don't have to go very far to find this. Um, the Church says abortion is intrinsically evil. Uh, I don't know what, what you guys think about this, but it, I think in the issue of worthiness to receive communion— in my experience as a guy who wasn't Catholic, who became Catholic, who's sort of grown in the faith and moved more traditional over time, slowly, uh, this was like, I, I, shouldn't everyone receive communion? That was, I remember like being sort of shocked thinking that not everybody could receive communion. Right. That's because um, over time we've gained this idea that the communion is like a family meal that we're all sharing, but that's really not what it is. It's the holy sacrifice of Christ on the cross at Calvary that is represented. And now this is Nancy Pelosi and other Catholic politicians. They're holding an illogical position where they're saying, I don't believe in the teachings of Catholicism, but I call myself a Catholic. Like I cannot, if I don't believe in Islam, I cannot call myself a Muslim. If I don't believe in Buddhism, I can't call myself a Buddhist. If I don't believe in Judaism, I can't call myself a Jew. But if I Somehow these Catholic politicians who don't believe in the teachings of the Catholic Church are allowed to call themselves Catholic. So it just doesn't make any sense. Adrian? Right. In a sense, uh, the people who are baptized Catholic remain Catholic uh, until, until well, forever, for all eternity. Mm-hmm. They have an indelible mark on their soul. So they remain Catholic. Right. But there needs to be a distinction between uh, alive members of the church and dead members of the church because there are the living members of the body of Christ and the dead members of the body of Christ. And Paul talks about this when he says that, that we have the alive members and the dead members and those who are uh, dead are, are also harming their brothers because they still remain in the church. And so, yes, these people are technically Catholics, um, but they are dead members of the church because they, man- they are espousing uh, manifest heresy manifest blasphemy manifest sacrilege against the church and her teachings um so yes and we need to pray for them because if you are because being catholic doesn't mean you go to heaven you don't go to heaven just because you identify as catholic or you check a box yeah. um, right. you go ask to heaven dante absolutely ask dante yeah. <laughs> so i think it's very important to focus on this um and then one real quick thing that's concerning me is the fact that uh, that Joe did not mention that St. Thomas's uh, feast day in the new calendar uh, who, is today. Huge so, day Thomas? today, Joe. That's, that's, uh, that's concerning obs- me. You want me to really mention an me. obscure saint for the day? Oh. Is, that, is that what it is? I'm incredibly concerned that you did not mention one of the greatest saints. <laughs> the greatest um, saints. One of. So much of our Catholic theology is based on. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's what's really concerning me. Above everything else, Above this is the most concerning else. thing of well, the day. Well, what, what do you think St. Thomas would say? The, the great angelic doctor, which oh. everybody's going to talk about today. But how many people even knew that the Blessed Olympia Bida even existed? That well, she okay. was an incredible uh, saint for our time. But no, because everybody's going to talk about the great angelic doctor. All right, all right. I tell you what, so we'll, talk, huge. we'll talk about him on March 7th, <laughs> which is the day he died. So they, the feast day used to be March 7th and still is March 7th on the old... Uh, calendar and the Dominican calendar. If you go to the Dominican calendar, uh, mm-hmm. it was on March seventh. So that's uh, that's the day he died. Today is the day that they moved his body, so they moved his feast day to this day. All right. Well, before we move on here, I want to just touch one more point on this conversation about Archbishop Cordelione. Again, I've linked uh, all the articles that I've mentioned here on Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. 
Emily's posting links on Facebook.com forward slash GRN online. Mm-hmm. Adrian is supposed to be uh, linking to everything over on the Station of the Cross on Facebook as well. But if you're looking for links for like oh, all of these platforms, oh, I'm trust me, I'm at, my head is spinning as much as yours is. If you want a list of everything, just go to GRNonline.com forward slash CDT. You'll find it there. But the, the last point I want to make about Archbishop Corleone's comments is I think it's an important point for all of us, for me, for myself. How many times have I presented myself for Holy Communion and not been worthy to receive it? I mean, how many times have I done so because I didn't make a good and holy confession first? Prepare myself. There's a reason why Adam and Eve weren't allowed back in the Garden of Gethsemane after their fall from grace, because to be in communion with God is could be very dangerous for you if you are not in a state of grace. It could be deadly to you, right? So this is why we have the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of holy confession, and this is why we try to live in a state of grace uh, to receive worthily so we can get the maximum benefit of that sacrament in our life, and I think it's worthy of a meditation for us personally. Forget about other people so much as much as ourselves. Are we worthily presenting ourselves to communion? I think the Archbishop brings up a good point here, not just for politicians, but for the rest of us. There's also an article, and I know we only have a minute or so uh, before we go to break, and uh, we're going to be speaking with uh, Duncan Stroik. He's an architect professor at Notre Dame. We're going to talk about architecture, what it means for the church, but the Crisis Magazine has uh, an article out today called Pagans Without Nature, Anthony Esselin is the uh, is the author. I'm going to link to this, too, because it's sort of related to our conversation. Uh, why build ugly when you can build beautiful and inspiring? That's going to be at the heart of our conversation with Duncan Stroik coming up in just a few minutes. We'll have uh, also breaking news and stories with Emily Alcaraz. All that coming on the other side of this break. Catholic Drive Time. Be right back with more coming your way. Don't go anywhere. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. What is a fanatic? Well, have you ever heard someone defending animal rights as if they have completely forgotten about human rights? G.K. Chesterton says that is a perfect example of a fanatic. Someone with a sense of a particular truth that is too strong for his sense of the universal truth. He will invoke even cruelty to prevent cruelty to animals. Later, he may even invoke cruelty to animals to prevent cruelty to pit ponies. It is not merely that he has kept one thing and lost a thousand things. He has lost the basis even of the one thing. For a man cannot long remain right without a reason. We must accept all the universal truths so that we don't go off balance with one particular truth. And where do we find the perfect balance of all universal truths? In the Catholic Church. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org The universe is filled with order from top to bottom. It's a beautiful order, and not only is it beautiful, it's order that we can actually comprehend. And it's almost as if we have been made to be able to comprehend that order in the universe, to be able to contemplate it so that we can see maybe that purpose behind it. Please visit Father Spitzer's website, magiscenter.com, to watch this beautiful and important video about purpose and God's creation. That's magiscenter.com. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. I'm Emily Alcaraz. Today is Thursday, January 28th. Just as a reminder, I'm also posting the daily headlines to my Instagram story at Catholic Drive Time. 
These are your headlines for today. Share prices for the video game retailer GameStop have shocked and awed over the past week after an online campaign to defy Wall Street expectations has sent the stock soaring. After the news broke that Wall Street hedge funds were going to short the GameStop stock, members of an online Reddit community started a campaign for this decentralized group of independent investors to buy up shares in an attempt to squeeze the short sellers, forcing them to buy more of the stock they were trying to short to cover losses as its price went up, not down. Many acted as their own stockbrokers using services like Robinhood to trade stocks at home using smartphone apps. The campaign worked, skyrocketing its stock price to a dizzying 1,600% increase since the beginning of January and costing hedge fund short sellers billions of dollars. The political left has joined conservatives in an uproar over Joe Biden's quote-unquote war on women. An angry firestorm from both left-wing feminists and conservative constitutionalists is besieging President Joe Biden, who, on day one of his presidency, issued an executive order that removes any legal recognition of the two sexes and eradicates protections women have enjoyed in the federal government and other arenas, such as bathroom privacy and sports. Hashtag Biden erased women is being used by vocal feminist groups such as Women's Liberation Front to urge their members to object to what they view as Biden's unprecedented attack on women's rights and liberty for everybody. Critics have noted that Biden's radical adoption of transgender ideology will backfire on him as he draws the ire of many constitutionalists who will defend their religious liberty and those who value the privacy and protection of women. A leading soccer goalkeeper in Italy is facing a penalty for blaspheming. Juventus goalkeeper Gianluigi Buffon is alleged to have used a blasphemous expression when speaking to a teammate during a match against Parma. Buffon, recently voted the best goalkeeper of all time in a poll of his peers, holds the record for most appearances as captain of the Italian national team. Blasphemy in public is an administrative offense under Italian penal law, punishable with a fine. Blasphemous language is also against the rules of the Italian Football Federation, which require proper behavior in the sports arena, and is punishable by a minimum of a one-match ban. Referees may give out red cards to players they hear blaspheming. And the Vatican has ex exonerated a bishop who was accused of abuse many times, dating back to 1970. Joseph Hart, the retired bishop, was canonically rebuked after being accused of sexually abusing children. The diocese said that its investigative team were convinced that the, we had sufficient evidence to conclude with moral certainty that the six accusations against Bishop Hart are credible and passed the case to Rome for a final decision in the canonical process. The diocese announced on January 25th that the CDF had concluded that Bishop Hart was exonerated of seven accusations and five other ac accusations could not be proven with moral certitude. The bishop is not allowed to have any contact with minors, youth, seminarians, or vulnerable adults, or to preside over any public celebration of the liturgy. I'm Emily Alcraz, and these are your Thursday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Thank you, Emily, for reading the headlines and keeping us up to date. Joining the program right now via Zoom is uh, Duncan Stroik. He is a practicing architect, author, and professor of architecture at the University of Notre Dame. 
He's also an award-winning uh, architect with uh, many projects to his credit to, in, to include Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity Chapel in California. But one of my favorites, and maybe you haven't received an, uh, an award for this, but I'd like to give you one, is Our Lady of Guadalupe Shrine in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Truly beautiful and exquisite. Uh, well done, good sir. Uh, Duncan Stroik, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Joe. Thank you for having me. Uh, we, we invited you on because we wanted to have a conversation about the purpose of architecture. Um, now, I know that you also participated in, with, uh, in, a, in an effort to look at government buildings, federal buildings, and whether or not they, uh, we should have architecture in federal buildings that would inspire. But I think this is the, at the heart of the conversation, especially in regards to church buildings. What is the purpose of architecture? We've seen so many buildings... Uh, in the church that don't inspire, and you just kind of wonder, like, what was the purpose and plan here? Is there a sort of a theology of architecture that we've been missing over the past few decades? Duncan Stroik. Well, the short answer is yes. We've been missing it because we've been enthralled by the emperor's new clothes, uh, which... Uh, we call modernist architecture, which is the latest thing, or it's the latest, latest thing. And so we've also thrown out our, uh, we put on dark sunglasses, so we can't see very well. And we've checked our uh, experiences or our feelings at the door. And of course, our theology had to be uh, redone, a la the spirit of Vatican II. So, how do we address, how do we look at architecture? Is it just simply a case where we just have to wind back the clock and look back to later past years? Or how do you approach architecture, especially when it comes to church architecture, when you're building a new building or even, you know, reinventing or reinvigorating an older building? Um, how do you begin to have this conversation? Is it subjective or are there principles? I mean, how do we do this? That's a great question. Yes, I think I think there are principles of sacred architecture, uh, as well as the, uh, you could say, the desire of the uh, client, uh, as well as the talent of the architect. But the, the five principles I like to emphasize are transcendence, verticality, uh, directionality, which emphasizes the nave or the, the focus, um, the, the procession that we're going towards, geometry, which should be all about Architecture shouldn't be a random uh, design, but there are clear uh, emphases in geometry, centers and edges. And, and then um, Catholic architecture and civic architecture that we've been talking about should be durable. It should be something that lasts, uh, should be well-built, which means it's expensive, but also should be well-built out of uh, natural and good materials uh, rather than just the latest thing. And then finally, and this, I think, does apply to both uh, federal American architecture as well as sacred architecture, is it needs iconography. Mm. Uh, it needs to speak to people through images, through statues, through paintings, uh, through inscriptions, and even little symbols that enrich our lives that reflect us, but also reflect the great world that we're part of. Uh, Dr. Stroik, uh, the, I was wondering, because I know you were working with uh, the commission under President Trump, and I know he made uh, an executive order in regards to classical architecture. 
Uh, could you speak about what it was that that the executive order did and how hard would it be for Biden to overturn that uh, those, uh, those that executive order? Well, that's a good question. I um, <clears throat> I myself was not uh, uh, directly involved in the executive order, although I support it. The executive order uh, by President Trump was that federal buildings in Washington, D.C., so it's just the buildings owned by the, the uh, U.S. government, paid for by the American uh, citizens, that all new uh, federal buildings in D.C. and around the country, in all of our 50 states, would uh, reflect the classical tradition. Um, and that's a broad tradition. That's basically 2,000 years of architecture, 2,500 years of architecture. And there's lots of ways to do it. And, um, and it's in, in saying that, it's learning from our great um, history in the US of civic buildings, whether it be the White House or the US Capitol, or whether it be more recent office buildings in the Federal Triangle. And then <clears throat> scads and scads of wonderful uh, federal courthouses in, in major cities in, across the land uh, that were done in a classical tradition up through, you know, up through World War II. Um, so, and then I should point out that there is, uh, there's flexibility and freedom. And if the local um, officials uh, deem that the, you know, we're doing something in the Southwest, so we're gonna do something more that fits in with uh, Spanish tradition, or we're gonna do something in Florida, or you know, other parts of the country where we have local stone or local traditions, that that can certainly be embraced. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a very flexible looking at thousands of years of architecture, looking at our specific tradition, and then doing things that would be, um, would be beautiful, um, durable, and, uh, and also functional. We're talking with Duncan Stroik. He is a professor at Notre Dame and a practicing architect. Uh, we're talking about architecture, the purpose, the plan, the theology behind it. You know, I know we're going to go to break here in just a moment, and we'll come back and continue our conversation, but I, I, I want to know about scale. I remember I had an opportunity to go to uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome in 2005, and the first thing I wanted to do when we hit our hotel was to get into St. Peter's Square and just behold this basilica with my own eyes. And the scale of it was so massive, so impressive. When you walk in, the holy water font is, you know, three and a half feet wide. It's massive. The, the letters are 10 feet tall that wrap, you know, the, 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 the ceiling. You know, it's just everything is so massive, so beautiful. But you can't help but lift your eyes and go, and your and your whole spirit sort of goes up and and looks up, and you you behold the grandeur of it all. And I want to say that that has there's something to that that's been lost, and I want to touch on that. We'll have to do that on the other side of the break, where our conversation with Duncan Strike. Uh, we're going to post a link to his website and to his work uh, over on facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. But Duncan Stroke, professor at University of Notre Dame, is talking about architecture, the plan, the purpose. No more ugly churches. What's our future? We'll have that conversation coming up next. Don't go anywhere. This is Mike and Alicia Hernan with the Messy Family Minute. It's vitally important for children to feel individually loved and known by their parents. Especially in a big family like ours, this can be very challenging. But no matter how many kids you have, you have an obligation to work on your relationship with each individual child. 
Relationships are built with the material of time, and we need to give our time to our children in a very intentional way. We do something with our kids that we call special time. Special time is spending time with one child doing something that they like to do. It can be very simple, like going to a park, the library, or going on a hike. Or you could go out for ice cream, a movie, or have some other fun experience. It's really not important what you do. What is important is that you are focused on getting to know that individual child and sending them the message that they are important, they are loved, and they are known by you. This lays the foundation for their relationship with God. For more inspiration and practical advice, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. It's so good to be on with you. Duncan Stroik is our guest. Uh, architecture, the, I, I'm sort of dubbing it the theology of architecture, sort of the, the heart of our conversation today. Uh, welcome back to the program, uh, Dr. Stroik. It's so good to have you on today. Thank you for your time. Um, I started, before we went to break, I shared a little my little experience about going to Rome and the grand scale, I mean, even the staircase in in uh, the museum there is just awe-inspiring and incredible. Uh, I feel like we've lost that. There's so many church buildings that just, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, are not inspiring. Is there something to scale uh, that we should reincorporate in church architecture? Duncan Strike. Okay, excellent point, Joe. Um, Scale or size or... um in relation to the human body is crucial. And when we think of uh, civic buildings, when we think of sacred buildings, uh, for a lot of people particularly, uh, the scale should be monumental. It should be grand. Now that grandeur uh, does express us and the people of God or the people being invited to be in. This is public, this is for everyone. It's a big doorway. And so we welcome people. It's not a commercial building. It's not just a private house, but it's open to everyone. So uh, that scale is for everyone, as it were. Speak to the city, the world. But if we're also doing a building for uh, the church or a sacred building, then it also represents something. As you said, it represents something bigger than us. Eternity, um, the Trinity, uh, hope faith, love, those are big concepts. How do you embody those in architecture? Well, they're large. Uh, They're also intimate, they're also personal, but they're large and they're generous. So uh, ultimately the building represents the people of God, but also represents God. How do you represent that? Uh, King David uh, felt bad that he built this amazing palace and uh, the Ark of the Covenant was still in a tent. And he, he said, you know, I wanna build something worthy of you, and so his son was able to build the temple. It's that kind of sensibility that God deserves our best, and the best also means fine materials. It also means grandeur and monumentality. Uh, it's not selfish, but it does represent all of us, and it represents God. So it needs to be noble, and it needs to ennoble us. 
That's great. Mr. Stork, I actually go to St. Teresa's, so I just want to thank you personally for the work that you've done on St. Teresa's because the way that I pray there, pray there is completely different from the past parish, which was completely scrubbed, bare, so minimalistic. Um, and in a sense, I think that the exterior surrounding in which you pray affects your interior, because even when you get distracted in prayer, you can look up and see the beauty, and that brings you back to God. So can you talk a little bit about beauty and how it affects our souls? Yeah, you make a good point, Emily, that uh, buildings or church buildings, like all of the other things that are part of Catholicism, should assist us, should support us. And uh, I remember uh, uh, one of my priest friends early in my career pointed out that he had a Catholic school and he brought the kids to church. He said, you know, my church can teach them more about the faith than words for little children because mm. they can see the stations of the cross. They can see that that little temple, which has the has the blessed sacrament in it. Mm -hmm. They can see an image of Christ crucified and or of the saints. And so it's to assist us. Uh, obviously, God is bigger than us. It's bigger than buildings. But how can our buildings um, help us to worship the way that music or prayers or what have you. And yes, I agree. Beauty is the crucial point. When I was a kid in architecture school 35 years ago, we did not use the B word. <laughs> Beauty was not used. It was not, you didn't talk about it. You talked about other things. And that reflected our architecture. We were not as architects trying to make beautiful things. And so if we try uh, as architects to make beautiful things, we will come up against, uh, is this building as beautiful as that one? Is this as beautiful as say the, uh, the uh, St. Peter's in Rome or um, uh, Chartres Cathedral or the statuary? And it drives us just like a, um, uh, an athlete. It drives you to do a better job when you're looking at great stuff and trying to do something of that level. And usually we fall short but um, some of the, you know, the greatest artists and architects don't fall short, and we're trying to attain to that. But it is beauty is uh, is crucial to architecture, but especially to sacred architecture. Duncan Stroik is our guest. He is an architect and a professor at Notre Dame, and uh, we're having this conversation about uh, this. I'm calling it the theology of architecture. So you mentioned when you were in architecture school, uh, what about today's students? Are they having a conversation about beauty? How are they looking at uh, their future careers and the next generation of not only federal buildings or civic buildings, but church buildings in particular? So this is really interesting, Joe. <clears throat> the National Civic Art uh, architecture society which is based in dc but looks at uh, uh, architecture across the country and has been uh, one of the groups that has uh, encouraged the executive order as well as the um, uh, they've been involved in various uh, recent monuments like the debate and uh, argument over the eisenhower memorial um, they did an amazing study in october with the harris pole company um, who looked at uh, five pairs of buildings, a modernist building and a classical building that were federal buildings, usually courthouses, and they compared them. And then they went to 2,000 adults around the country and asked them what they liked. And what they found was that, uh, and some buildings more than others, but Americans have a preference for classical buildings over modernist buildings, meaning the last 50, 60 years, 
um, about 70% to 30. 70% of Americans really do prefer tradition. They do prefer classicism for their buildings that embody, you know, our, our country or citizenship or what have you. And I think that's true across the board, that if you give people a choice, they'll pick the classical building, the, the Gothic building, the traditional building. And that's very exciting that the normal people, uh, the average person, the educated person, the conservative and the liberal prefer uh, traditional classical buildings. Now, architect, one of the purposes of architecture school is to take those people and change their views. And uh, architecture schools do a good job taking normal kids who like uh, uh, the county courthouse or their Tudor residence or um, things in Rome or in Spain and, and getting them to think about the spirit of our age or being relevant <laughs> or um, other ideas that will get them away from looking at the past and doing something more innovative and less attractive. That's uh, that's not inspiring. <laughs> that's kind of concerning. We want our uh, we want the next generation to be awe inspiring by beauty, by uh, natural uh, natural law and beauty. Uh, we're going to run out of time here, and we're going to have to wrap up here in just a few minutes. But the, one of the points I, I was just thinking about was I used to attend a church in downtown Houston. Very beautiful, uh, one of the oldest churches in the diocese, very ornate, very beautiful, very traditional too. And uh, we saw a phenomenon while we were parishioners there, that people from all over the diocese would come to that church to get married. And I always wonder, like, what? why would you do that? I mean, you're a parishioner at such and such church, and this church, and that church. Why do you flock to this particular place to just get married and not be a part of that community or what, what have you? It just seems strange to me. And, I, and then as you're talking, I just, you know, the thought occurred to me just, I think each and every one of us built into our heart, as St. Paul would say in Romans 1, uh, we, we know in, inherently what is beautiful and what is less beautiful. But if that's true, then what can we do about our churches, our parishes that maybe are less inspiring or less beautiful? Is it possible to do something about them without having to just, you know, level it to the ground and rebuild from scratch? I mean, that, that's the, the perpetual capital campaign is a state of life in the Catholic Church. How do we overcome these things and still get the beauty uh, that we, our hearts desire most? Duncan Strike. Oh, that's great. Yes, um... Bill McGurn at the Wall Street Journal wrote years ago that if you want to know the true test of a church, ask the bride. <laughs> and uh, the brides know what's beautiful. They're going to get married. They're going to get married once. And so it's got to be really, really good. Mm -hmm. And uh, But we'll put up with other things for our normal Sunday. Yes, can we make all of our churches worthy of weddings, worthy of a bride's chapel? And I think we can all in our own way. Uh, I know people that have have donated small amounts of money to beautify. They ask, Father, could I give this for some candles for the altar? Can I give this for uh, to clean something? Can I give money to paint something? Or So there's ways to do, like you said, the campaign to do something grand, which is wonderful. But also we can just show appreciation the way that we do for our houses. And if the church is the house of God and the house of the people, it's our, it's your house too. And so you, you can take care of it. You can offer, you can add, you can uh, take care of it and uh, beautify it. And that's what we should do in, in each, each of us in our own way. 
We have a couple minutes left in our conversation with Duncan Stroik. Uh, so uh, besides, I mean, Our Lady of Guadalupe, that shrine in La Crosse is truly epic and beautiful. Uh, the hike up to it is just so grand with being in the, you know, in the, it's nestled, nestled in the mountains and the valley there. It's just great. But we have about a minute and a half left. What's your, what's your favorite project of all the ones you've worked on? So my favorite project is the next one. <laughs> you, can't, you can't choose from Every, all your children, can you? <laughs> yeah, we've been so honored. You know, what's fun about being an architect uh, is I get to work all over the country from California to Connecticut and from Texas to Minnesota. And all of the projects are wonderful, but they're all unique. And I love working with the pastors and the bishops. I love serving the local people and their music. Um, and as well as bringing in top artists and craftsmen to bless their uh, church or to beautify their building. All right. And so right now we're working, we're actually back at Our Lady of Guadalupe doing a project there. Wonderful. Which is very exciting. And you'll find out more about that in uh, months to come. All right. And, we're going to uh, have to leave it there. finished a cathedral in Michigan. I hate to cut you off, but we're out of time. Duncan Stroik, God bless you. Thank you for being on the program today. We're very grateful for your time. Uh, we're going to post a link to strike.com on uh, facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. You can find that there. But God love you. God bless you, Duncan Stroik. Thanks for being on the show today. That's going to do it for Catholic Drive Time. Uh, check us out in the next hour. We're going to have the trivia game show and prizes are involved. Join us online. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. I have a friend who says that baptism is a symbolic act and that it has nothing to do with salvation. How can I answer him? Simple. Show him what the Bible says. Nowhere does the Bible say that baptism is merely a symbolic act. That passage simply does not exist. But the Bible does say this about baptism. In Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, it says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will put my spirit within you. Here in the Old Testament, we have a foreshadowing of New Testament baptism. In the New Testament, Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No symbolic language here. The book of Acts says, Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from your uncleannesses. The book of Acts says, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel says, And I will put my spirit within you. Do you begin to see how God in the Old Covenant was preparing us for what He gives us in the New Covenant? Acts 22, 16, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. What body was that? The body of Christ. 1 Peter 3, 21, 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Scripture simply does not support the non-Catholic notion that baptism is symbolic. Scripture does, however, very clearly and directly support the Catholic teaching that baptism saves us, that baptism makes us members of the body of Christ, that baptism washes away sin, and that through baptism we receive the Holy Spirit just as the church teaches. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Can you tell me the three little pigs story? Three little pigs were listening to Catholic Radio on the GRN and heard that the GRN was raffling off a 2021 Mercedes-Benz GLA 250. So they went to grnonline.com, bought five tickets for $100, and waited for their name to be drawn at the end. So, who's your favorite GRN station manager? I like them all, but especially Joe McClain. Confessions at 5. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. Good morning to you. Praise be to God. Give God some praise right now. You know what? Uh, we talk a lot about the, the for sort of heavier topics, the news, and it can be depressing sometimes. Okay, all the time. But listen, give God some praise. Just make sure that's a part of your regular conversation. The things that come out of your mouth every single day should be some praise to the Almighty. I've said a lot of bad things in my life, so I'm trying to I'm trying to change that by giving God praise more frequently throughout my day. And maybe you should try that today. See what happens. We're going to have a great show. We just finished a conversation with Duncan Stroyke. He's a professor at Notre Dame. We'll post that video of that conversation all by itself uh, later today, not only on YouTube, but on Rumble. I'm encouraging folks to go to Rumble and make sure you uh, subscribe to us there. So that way, when we get shut off, because we've seen lots of that going on, we'll have a place where our videos will still exist. So we'll make sure you check us out. Now, if you're looking for links for all the various platforms that we're posting to, we I have posted all of that over at grnonline.com forward slash cdt for Catholic Drive Time. grnonline.com forward slash cdt. And by the way, while you're there, make sure you look at the car raffle. We're going to give some lucky Catholic Radio listener a brand new Mercedes uh, in just a couple of weeks from now. Could be you. It's a wonderful opportunity to support our radio apostolate and possibly win a brand new Mercedes. So go to the website, grnonline.com. You'll find the details, the rules, and how to purchase your tickets for that raffle there. But on the uh, the hour, this hour, we're going to have breaking news and stories. We're going to have Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, our Catholic Trivia Game Show, Fear and Trembling, with a new opportunity, three more chances to get into the uh, Coffee Cup of Divine Providence. Plus, we'll have Holy Mass at uh, 7.30, but the Catholic Drive Time team will stay on our live social media, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Join us there, and you can conversate, comment, 
include you in the conversation. It'll be a wrap-up of the program. All of that coming on this hour. Of course, the team is in the house. Good morning to you, Emily Alcaraz. Good morning, Joe. Happy feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, now you, oh, come on. You got, are the two of you <laughs> conspiring against me? Listen, we're Dominicans. It's a huge oh, day for oh, us. It's huge. Okay, St. Thomas Aquinas, I guess the angelic doctor. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. You know, kind of kind of a big deal. Uh, we are conspiring against you. That that's it's just a fact. <laughs> you know what Thomas Aquinas said when his sister said, "How do I become a saint?" He said, "Will it? Will it? Okay. I need to figure out who this will is." Everybody is going to talk about Saint Thomas Aquinas. Like Nike, just it's, do it. He's the big guy. He's. I mean, okay, that wasn't a girth joke, uh, but uh, he is the big angelic doctor. He's kind of a he's kind of a big deal in the Catholic Church. I understand everybody's going to mention him today. Uh, however, comma. I'm going to tell you about a, a saint that you probably have never heard of, because I like I prefer that sometimes, you know. So anyway, that's coming up, but we have breaking news and stories. Let's pray first, uh, dear listener, whatever your intentions are today. Uh, I want to include those in, with my intentions, of course, for our team, our radio apostolate, for our nation, for our country, and, and all of our intentions. Let's ask Our Lady to pray and intercede for us by whispering them into the ear of her Son, that he may draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred heart, praying also for a five-month-old Mary Claire, who's in the hospital with a severe injury. Let's keep her and her family in prayer as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy. Hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione is emphasizing the need for Catholics to recover the sense of worthiness to receive Holy Communion. In an interview discussing his recent admonition of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the Archbishop of San Francisco said, quote, Catholics can no longer understand the idea, Catholics no longer understand the idea of worthiness to receive communion. It's just seen as a sort of token gesture of welcome and belonging. He said that Catholics must first understand the Church's teaching on the Eucharist in order to grasp the significance of the denial of Holy Communion to a public figure. Archbishop Cordelione also said that Nancy Pelosi does not speak for the Catholic Church and that her phrase, right to choose, to describe legal abortion, is a smokescreen for perpetuating an entire industry that profits from one of the most heinous evils imaginable. Share prices for the video game retailer GameStop have shocked and awed over the past week after an online campaign to defy Wall Street expectations has sent the stock soaring. After the news broke that Wall Street hedge funds were going to short the GameStop stock, members of an online Reddit community started a campaign for this decentralized group of independent investors to buy up shares in an attempt to squeeze the short sellers, forcing them to buy more of the stock they were trying to short to cover losses as its price went up, not down. Many acted as their own stockbrokers using services like Robinhood to trade stocks at home using smartphone apps. The campaign worked, skyrocketing its stock price to a dizzying 1,600% increase since the beginning of January and costing hedge fund short sellers billions of dollars. A landmark abortion ruling has been published in Poland. On Wednesday, Poland's Constitutional Court published the rationale for its declaration that abortion on the basis of fetal abnormalities 
is unconstitutional. The court's verdict prompted a wave of demonstrations across Poland, and protesters directed their anger at the ruling Law and Justice Party, but also at the Catholic Church, which welcomed the decision. Demonstrators disrupted masses while holding signs supporting abortion, left graffiti on church property, vandalized statues of St. John Paul II, and chanted slogans at clergy. The ruling, which cannot be appealed, could lead to a significant reduction in the number of abortions in the country. Up until now, Polish law only permitted abortion in cases of rape, incest, risk to the mother's life, or fetal abnormality. And the Supreme Court of Ireland ruled on Friday that a hospital may withhold medical treatment contrary to the wishes of the parents of a child with severe injuries. The court said in their decision, the withholding, the withholding of treatment to a child does not necessarily require parental consent to be lawful. If it is based on a properly made decision as to the best medical interests of the child, and it would be contrary to medical ethics to provide the treatment. This decision is based on the case of JJ, a boy whose accident led to a dispute between his parents and the hospital over the best treatment option for him. His parents believe that he would want his life continued as long as possible by whatever means necessary, but his medical team thinks this would merely prolong his suffering. The High Court made John a ward of the court, allowing them to give the boy the treatment they believe to be in his best interest. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Thursday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Blessed Olympia Baida, pray for us. She was born in 1903 in Ukraine. She was a Greek Catholic, actually, but she joined the Congregation of the Sisters of St. Joseph. She worked in several towns as a catechist and novice director. She worked with the aged and the sick. She taught and helped to raise several young women, and she became the convent superior in Karev, where the communists worked diligently against her. In fact, she was arrested in 1951 for her faith. The communists sent her to a uh, camp in Siberia in Russia, but that did not deter Blessed Olympia Baida. No, in fact, she continued her duties in the camp in Siberia as a superior. She organized the other exiled nuns, which there were many, and uh, she helped them to pray and to, uh, she created these support groups. But eventually, on January the 28th, 1952, the communists would martyr her, would kill her because of her Catholic faith. Pope St. John Paul II would beatify her on June 27, 2001. Blessed Olympia Baida, pray for us. The Gospel today comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Jesus said to his disciples, Is a lamp brought in to be placed under a bushel basket or under a bed, and not to be placed on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be made visible nothing in secret except to come to light. Anyone who has ears to hear ought to hear. He also told them, Take care what you hear. The measure with which you measure will be measured out to you, and still more will be given to you. To the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A uh, powerful little passage here to chew on, I would say. Um, I love the idea, the, the, the sort of this motif of this light, right, that uh, we see, especially in John's Gospel. Boy, the light and the darkness. It just really is a thread that goes throughout. But here in Mark's Gospel, we see it as well. The light. What is this light that, that can be hidden 
And why would someone want to hide their light, sort of hoarding it for themselves? This light is the light of faith. It is the light of God's revealed truth to us through his Son and through his disciples, his apostles, the, the church, and through apostolic succession down to our time. What do we do with this faith that has been given to us? Do we keep it to ourselves? Do we hoard it? Like, do we place it under the bed? Do we place it under a bushel basket? Are we secret, undercover Christians? Or are we called to be public in our faith, to be, uh, to be uh, giving this out generously and courageously to the whole world? And I think in a time where we've sort of lost the idea of evangelization, where we've forgotten that the primary mission of the church is not to help us to all get together and happy-go-lucky and, and to do nice things. No, it's to evangelize, to share the good, the true, and the beautiful to the four corners of the earth, to make disciples of all nations and, and the gen- generousness that God has given to us, we are expected to turn around and give it to the world. And what will happen to us if we fail to do this? He says this measuring, right? The measuring, what you give is what you're going to get. Well, trust me, we don't want that on our our conscience as we go to our judgments. Instead, we want to be very generous with this gift of faith because we risk it being taken away from us. What we have could be taken away from us. So let us uh, chew on the gospel today. Let us uh, remember the the parable of the talents in Luke's gospel and chew on that today as well, since it's a parallel passage. And remember that God has not called us to be secret or undercover Christians. Go along to get along is not part of our mission. It is the salvation of souls and the glory of God that we live and breathe and have our being. Adrian, Emily? In his commentary, St. John Chrysostom points out that this light that is lit within Christians is lit in prayer, in meditation by God. And this is what re- results in virtue, works, holiness that, that Christians can do. Everything good comes from the light that is lit within prayer. And without prayer, even good works are meaningless. And I just, I'm just thinking about how important it is to be visible as Catholics. Like, I think a lot of Catholics are afraid of standing out. That's why they don't pray out at restaurants or they're afraid to do something in public, you know, wear their miraculous medal out. And this is something that I actually wear this hugely obnoxious miraculous medal, and I wear it (laughs) everywhere. I never take it off because this is a sign of my faith. This is me not hiding my light under a bushel basket. Adrian? Uh, Yeah, so the one thing that I wanted to bring up was the fact that the office talks about how the bushel basket hiding under the bed, uh, that's that's hiding, that's uh, a symbol of idleness because we're afraid to act. We want to just, you know, I have my faith and, you know, I believe everything the church teaches, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to hold on to it. And I'm, it's kind of, I just don't want to go out, don't want to ruffle any feathers. Uh, that kind of idea of idleness, of slothfulness, that's what's symbolized there. And, but our Lord says, no, do not hide it, hide it under a bushel basket, but show it out so everyone can see. And this is very important. We have to show out our faith. We have to let people know. Not because of some glory that we're trying to get for ourselves, but like Joe said, for the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church and the salvation of souls. That's the primary end of the Christian life, um, especially our own souls, because too much was given, um, uh, much uh, is expected, right? And so if we do not give what we have, what God has given us, even the little that we have will be taken away from us. So if we hide it to ourselves and we're slothful and idle and not wanting to share it, even that will be taken away from us. Yeah, wonderful passage today. I was just reminded as you were, Emily, we're talking about your miraculous medal. A, a Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, a good friend of mine, was on an airplane once with his big crucifix, and the lady said, that offends me. You should take that off. And he said, oh, it offends you. Well, then don't look at it. 
So be Amen not afraid. Be not afraid. We're going to go to break. We're going to come back with our Fear and Trembling game show. Prizes are involved. 877-757-9424. Call right now. You can win. Are there any basic rules for doing apologetics? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared, Scripture tells us. How can we always be prepared to make a defense of our faith? Rule number one, pray. Pray to the Holy Spirit that He give you the courage to share your faith and the wisdom to choose your words carefully and profitably. Rule number two, you don't have to know everything right now. Learn a little bit more about your faith each and every day. Read scripture, read the catechism, listen to apologetics tapes, listen to Catholic radio. Learn a little bit at a time. Rule number three, Luke 5 verse 10. Do not be afraid, henceforth you will be catching men. Jesus said this to Peter, but he's also saying it to us. Will you make mistakes and get into tight spots when you start sharing your faith with others? Yes, of course you will. But Peter made mistakes and he got into tight spots. Yet Jesus told Peter not to be afraid. Why? Because if we are sincere in our desire to share the truth with others, to share Jesus Christ with others, then Jesus will find a way to make good come from even our mistakes. Rule number four, always view a question about your faith or even an attack on your faith as an opportunity, an opportunity to share the truth. Rule number five, don't get frustrated. Catholics often get frustrated by what I call the doctrinal dance. You get asked about purgatory, Mary, the Pope, the sacraments, all in rapid fire succession. Before you can answer one question, you're asked another, then another. Just keep bringing the discussion back to one topic until you've said all you want to say, then move on. Rule number six, never be afraid to say, I don't know, when asked a question about your faith. Don't try to wing it. However, always follow I don't know with, but I will find out and get back to you and make sure you do. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time uh, and the Fear and Trembling Game Show. So the first caller right now gets to be our contestant. The phone number to call is 877-757-9424. If you've never been on the game show before, we are asking you to, if you've been a player before, we're asking you to pause and let someone else have a turn. 877-757-9424. Three questions, and you don't even need to know the answers because you get a 50-50 shot every time. So 877-757-9424. Phone lines are wide open, which means this is a wonderful opportunity if you want to get in the coffee cup of divine providence to possibly win the prizes this week. Well, it's a greatest chance ever. 877-757-9424. Waiting for that call. All right, so here's how the game works. If you have, uh, if you're new here, you've never played. I have three questions in my hands. These are Catholic trivia questions, 
And uh, you don't need to know the answer because I don't ask you the caller. I ask Emily. I ask Adrian. And the two of these these people have conspired to have a right and a wrong answer. One of them will be right. One will be wrong. The caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to decide who do they want to go with, Emily or Adrian. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. And Emily, what, what could they win? This week's sponsor is AromaRosary.com, and they're giving away their Guadalupe bracelet made out of blue jasper and lava rock, and it comes with four sample oils. Now, all of their products are made by youth groups and religious sisters, and a portion of the proceeds go to different Catholic charities. Wonderful. Praise be to God. So, uh, wonderful chance, wonderful opportunity, and we have some callers on the line. If you've tried to call in today and you didn't get to be the first caller, well, God love you. God bless you. Please try again tomorrow morning. Keep the number handy because the first caller is is always the contestant. So let's go to the phones. Don, good morning to you. Thank you for being a part of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Good morning. Where are you calling from, Don? I live in Greenville, Texas. Greenville, Texas. Praise God. And uh, where do you go to church? St. William's Catholic Church. St. William's. That's wonderful. Praise be to God. So have you been listening to the show? Do you understand how the rules are are played? A relatively new listener, but I have been listening, and I'm also a relatively new Catholic, so make them easy questions. (laughs) Welcome home. (laughs) Welcome home. So uh, praise Jesus. That's great. I'm a convert. I came into the church in 99. Where where were you before you came home to the Catholic Church? I was a Baptist. Excellent. And uh, been, been a Catholic for almost two years now. Well, praise be to God. Praise God. Now, the good news is, Don, you don't have to know the answers to any of these questions. You just have to be uh, you have to be a careful listener because Emily and Adrian will try to fool you, all right? So I have your best interest at heart. However, I'm not sure they do. I don't okay? know about that. Uh, truth in advertising. And I, I picked out, uh, I think they're fairly easy questions today, but we'll find out. Don, are you ready to go? I am ready. Emily, we'll start with you, as is our custom. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Yes, yes, I am. Are you sure? Yes. Here we go. Emily, perjury violates which of the Ten Commandments? Sorry, what violates the... Perjury, or perjury. lying, okay. lying, violates which of the Ten Commandments? Um, lying, so is I'm going to go with maybe the Fifth Commandment? Fifth Commandment is your answer. That would be... Uh, you shall not Thou kill. Thou shall not kill? Yeah, so that's your answer? Yeah, you know, when you lie, you kill the truth. Ah, <laughs> I see the angle. Okay, well, let's see what Adrian has to say. Adrian, can you tell me perjury violates which of the Ten Commandments? Uh, that's that's a tricky question. Uh, you would think it's uh, thou shalt not bear false witness, right? I would. But it's, uh, it's not. It's actually the second commandment. Really? Thou shalt not have any gods before me, because perjury... Is in court and you make a vow to God. You're uh, placing a uh, oh, promise to God. I see. So it's tied to the uh, promise. But, of but God. you know, it could be me or Emily. You know, it could be. All right. So uh, Adrian is on the hook for the second commandment, and Emily is on the hook for the fifth commandment. Who's right? Who's wrong? Fifteen seconds. Don, what say you? I was gonna go with uh, with the eighth commandment, but I'll have to go with the second commandment. Adrian. Survey says. 
Yay! There you go. Wow. Yeah. Well done. Tricky, but you uh, you successfully that was a hard one. weave the needle there, as they say. So, yeah, Eighth Commandment would have been my choice, I think. But, in fact, the answer is, uh, and I think, Adrian, you did a good job of link making the connecting the dots there it, it has to do with giving swearing an oath and when you do that boy you bring god into things and it changes the game significantly mm-hmm. thou you shall not take the lord the name of the lord your god in vain second commandment all right very good you are in the coffee cup of divine providence for one try you get two more here don uh you did so well let's see how you do on the next ones we're going to start with adrian adrian are you ready yes sir adrian can you tell me at the end of the world all people will go before Christ for the final judgment called what? Okay, you, you really did give easy ones this week <laughs> because uh, I did a whole series on the four last things. Uh, if you go to uh, find my YouTube channel, Adrian Fonseca, or the Catholic Drive Time Facebook page, I talked about this, and it's the general judgment. The general judgment. Yes, sir. Are you sure? I'm like 87% sure. 87? Maybe 88%. 88. You're going to round up. All right. Something like that. Emily, Emily, can you tell me, at the end of the world, all people will go before Christ for the final judgment called what? I'm going to go with the day of reckoning. The day of reckoning. Yeah, Ooh, that's ominous. I saw the movie. It's that's great. a movie. Oh. Yeah, no, I don't know. It sounds very I ominous. I think there though. is. <laughs> the, okay, so Emily's on the hook for the day of reckoning. And Adrian is on the hook for the general judgment. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Don, what say you? I'm going to go with Adrian. Survey says congre- there's no fooling you, well Don. Well done. You're not letting them uh, buck you at all here. Uh, very good. I don't believe you're very a convert. Good. You know way more than I do. <laughs> um, I, I think I think my RCA... RCIA class. Thank you, Deacon Davis. <laughs> Deacon Davis. <laughs> well, congratulations, Deacon. You've done a good job. Don is on point here. He's got one more chance, Don, to uh, get into the coffee cup of divine providence. And uh, I don't know. This could, let's see. This, no, this should be an easy one, I think. Let's just see how it goes. Emily, back to you. Are you ready? Yes. Emily, what is the term for the official church of a bishop? who has jurisdiction over a diocese, usually located in the sea city. Oh, I know this one. Okay. This is a cathedral. It's a cathedral. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, let's see what Adrian has to say. Adrian, Adrian, can you tell me for the term of the official church of a bishop who has hmm. jurisdiction over a diocese, usually located in the sea city? The answer is uh, Basilica. I'm going to go with the Basilica. Are you sure? That's what I'm going with. All right. Adrian's on the hook for Basilica. Uh, Emily's on the hook for Cathedral. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Don, last chance. What say Uh, you? Sorry, Adrian. I'm going with Emily this time. (laughs) (laughs) Survey says... A perfect no. wow. Three for three, Don. No wow. fooling you. All right, so uh, purely a bonus question here, Don. Do you know why they call it a cathedral? I do not. <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> a called a cathedral because of the chair that sits there. This is the cathedras. Oh. This is the chair that Bishop sits in. It represents his authority. Similar to that, which was the chair of Moses, that the uh, that the priest sat in that had authority, and by the way, every uh, synagogue had a chair of Moses that represented the authority, and Jesus referenced that in Matthew's gospel. I want to say it's Matthew chapter twenty-three, and so the bishop has authority, and wherever his chair is, is his 
cathedras or his cathedral. And guess what? The Pope's chair is not in St. Peter's Basilica. It is, in fact, at St. John Lateran, which is just a few blocks up from the Colosseum in Rome. There you go. Don, congratulations. Perfect score three times in the coffee cup of Divine Providence. How do you feel? I feel great. I had a good time. Learned, I always learn things listening to y'all. I appreciate it. Well, praise be to Jesus. You need Thank to reach you, out Don. to your deacon uh, there at the RCIA class and say, you did such a good job, deacon. I had a perfect score on the Catholic trivia game show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll let him know. <laughs> well, Don, we're very grateful you're a part of our program, and uh, we're so grateful you've come home to the church, and praise be to Jesus for that. Uh, we're going to put you on hold so that we can get your phone number in case you are the winner. Now, Emily, tell us one more time, who has generously sponsored? What could Don possibly win this week? So you're in the drawing to win Aroma Rosary's Guadalupe bracelet, which comes with essential oils, and it's valued at $70. Wow, $70. Boy, you're really up in the game over there, Emily, on these prizes. <laughs> uh, we're very grateful to all of our sponsors. But uh, Don, God bless you. God love you. Have a great day. Thank you again for being on our program. Thank you. God, God bless you all. All right, I'm going to put you on hold, uh, and uh, Adrian will get your number. So we have about uh, two minutes before we go to, uh, to say goodbye on the radio side of our broadcast, and then the Holy Mass will begin uh, from uh, Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel in Corpus Christi, Texas. So if you can tune in for that, please keep us in your prayers. The Catholic Drive Time team will stay on the live video stream across our social platforms on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. And if you have a comment or a question, anything we've discussed in the show today, we would love to interact with you there. So go to Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, leave a comment. Tell us who you are, where you're from, where do you go to church. Tell us if you have a comment or a question, we'll, we'll, we'll include that in the conversation. If you're looking for links to make it easier to find things, including the audio version of our shows, you can get the podcast of our program, and you can do that over at grnonline.com forward slash cdt, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. The audio podcast is there. The links to all of our social platforms are there. I've got uh, embedded YouTube players of, of the individual uh, conversations that we have. All of that is there. But don't forget, like, share, subscribe. Help spread the word, especially on your social platforms. It'll really do us a favor. And one more thing, download the mobile app. Whether you're on Guadalupe Radio Network or the Station of the Cross, it's super important to stay connected in a day and an age where censorship is a kind of a big thing. So, again, you can find all the details on our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. And while you're there... Make sure to check out the car raffle. You could win a Mercedes. It's a win-win-win for everybody. But that's going to do it for the radio side of our show. We're going to stick around on the live stream. We hope to see you there. Jump on the live stream or go to Holy Mass. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here on Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to uh, Catholic Drive Time in the after show. So we still have yet to like find a, a, a more preferable name for the show. Emily, did you have any more thoughts on that?
no, I think we've thought of all the car driving puns we can. You know, after show, it makes sense. We can go with after show. After show. I'm noticing some comments here over on the Facebook side of uh, Catholic Drive Time. So Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Jesus Robles is hanging out over there. Good morning to you, Jesus. We love you, brother. We always like to, to see you hanging out with us. Uh, he was trying to answer some of the questions there. So he, he was going with the fifth commandment on our trivia game show, which is you shall not kill. So he was agreeing Ooh, with you. I tricked you, Jesus. <laughs> you shall not kill the truth. Uh, but it was kind of tricky. I mean, I would have said for sure, uh, commandment number eight, you shall, ha- bear, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Yeah. It seems like it's a good fit. Very interesting. Uh, Jesus says you're awesome, Emily. Thank you, Jesus. You're also awesome. <laughs> Uh, okay, what else is he saying? He he really likes Adrian as well. Don't don't <laughs> encourage Adrian, Jesus. Okay, his ego cannot take it. His Dominican uh, obsessions can't handle this on 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 Saint Thomas. Are y'all already reading Jesus's comments? Because <laughs> I have I haven't got here yet. You're always reading his comments before I get here. Uh, I'm like his his my favorite comments. Yeah, well, He's he always is. talking about Dominicans. So he, I'm yes. like yes. I, 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 are you a third order Dominican there, Jesus? I'm just curious. He should be. He yeah. really should. He, he was going to answer shrine to the question of the bishop's uh, oh. chair. Uh, so that was a fun teachable moment. That and of was course, tricky. Joaquin, thank you for hanging out with us this morning. It was so good to see you, Joaquin, hanging out with us over on Facebook. We're very grateful to you. Uh, let's see. Lori, of course, is hanging out. Lori, God bless you. Good morning to you. It's so good to have you on. Is there a link to the Holy Mass? Well, that's a good question. Um, I know it's live across the radio. The question is, is it being streamed? And I hate to tell you, I don't actually know. Let me just see if I can find that real quick for yeah, you. Yeah, I'm also YouTubing it, but I'm not, I can't seem to find anything. Maybe Facebook, and then we go to Our Lady of Corpus Christi. Let's see if they're putting it out. Because it's a, it's a collaboration, actually, from uh, uh, the Salts, the, our, our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. They're in Corpus Christi, Texas at their chapel, which is quite beautiful, but it does not appear that they are live streaming on on digital side. So you can go to grnonline.com and you can start to listen to the uh, our stream and you'll be able to hear the Mass or download our app and you'll be able to hear the Mass that way. So that's one way to do it. But it looks like they're not live streaming the video. I don't think so. So maybe that'll come. We'll ask them. We'll see if they'll be able to incorporate that. But, uh, yeah, Lori was going to go with number eight as well. You shall not bear false witness. Pop quiz. Uh, why is there a difference between the uh, Protestant version of the Ten Commandments, Adrian Fonseca, I'm talking to you, and the Catholic version of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, that's actually a super interesting question uh, because the Ten Commandments appear in Exodus multiple times. And so we have the, the two versions that are there, but the church has codified one that we use normally, but there's not like a right one or a wrong one. Um, and then the other sense, often people, the Seventh-day Adventists will get upset and say, well, it says keep holy the Sabbath day, but your Ten Commandments say keep holy the Lord's day. Mm. Why is that? And so we also uh, have changed it because a Sabbath technically is a Saturday, um, but because uh, of our Lord, he was risen on a Sunday. We no longer celebrate the Sabbath, but instead the Lord's Day, because that is the day that our um, that our Lord has instituted for us to celebrate. That's the day he rose from the dead. Yeah. Uh, so we celebrate um, the great feast on that day. You know, that was one of the big um, issues that I discovered in the early church writing 
back during my own conversion process when I it was Alistair Begg, the Calvinist anti-Catholic preacher on Protestant radio that made me Catholic. That's at least what I like to say tongue in cheek. Right. Um, he when he when he sort of uh, prompted me to go and do some research on the early church. And I discovered the early Christian writings of, uh, you know, the um, the Didache and Ignatius Antioch and Justin the Martyr and, and the Shepherd of Hermes and all that, all this incredible stuff. But when you start to read, especially the Didache, the Didache was written in the mid-first century. There are so many copies uh, found from antiquity that there are scholars who believe it was used to teach catechumens how to read and write. They were doing copy work uh, in order to uh, learn how to read and write, and they were taking these copies and spreading them through the church. It was the teaching of the apostles, the Didache. It's pretty awesome. You should read it. But one of the points it makes in the Didache is you have to go to confession before receiving communion. Boom. That's kind of Catholic, I'm just saying. But it also talks about uh, going to Mass on Sunday. That's mid-first century right there. Of course, where there's other many uh, examples we could point to from the early church writings. But when I read that, I was like, wow. And then one of the other things that kind of blew me away about the Didache was on baptism. Of course, uh, you know, I always, I, coming from a Protestant background, I thought you had to be fully immersed. That's the only valid baptism. You had to be fully dunked. Right in a, in a river it had to be a river, right? I was baptized in a bathtub, by the way, uh, when I was like uh, I think I was ten. You were baptized. I might have been nine. I might have been nine when I got baptized. Kind of strange in the Church of Christ. Well, I call it a bathtub. It wasn't really a bathtub. It felt like a bathtub. But anyway, uh, um, in the Didache, you read about, and I'm just doing this solely off memory. It's been so long since I've read it, but you know it. There's, they, there's a whole paragraph, a whole section on baptism. And yeah, living water is preferred, i.e. a river. That's preferred. It's great. It's wonderful. But what if you don't have that? Well, okay. Um, the amount of water becomes less and less important as you read. And you discover that so long as you follow the formula, even pouring or even sprinkling can become valid. And in fact, I, I was so blown away by that. The mid-first century document uh, that it really just opened my mind. And that was part of my process, was to read the early church documents and dis- discover how Catholic the early church was, in fact. And of course, the first use of the word Catholic to describe the church is in 110 A.D. by St. Ignatius of Antioch in his letter to the Samaritans. Uh, he says, uh, wherever, wherever the bishop is, like Christ, there is the Catholic church. I mean, it, it's... It doesn't get clearer than that. And he he says it in such a way that implies that people already knew the word Catholic. It's not like he was saying, oh, by the way, Catholic means, uh, no, he was just using it colloquially, meaning he wasn't the first one to say it. He was just the first one documented uh, in history to have said it. He was also dealing with uh, heresy in his diocese because the threat of martyrdom was, was real. They had just gone through a persecution, and now they were facing another one, and and he was trying to encourage his flock to to be steadfast in the faith and face the martyrdom and not be afraid of it. And he knew that many faithful would lose their heart and courage, and they would flock to this heresy that looked, smelt like, felt like the Catholic Church, but was not. In fact, it was a heresy. And he was making the clear distinction that where the bishop is, there is Christ. This is the cough halal, this conjunction of Greek words. This is the wholeness, the fullness of the faith is found. The Catholic faith, that's what that means, is found in, with the bishop. And, uh, and you, have to, uh, you have to bring your obedience and your adherence to that, and it's so important. He was making that super clear because he was trying to shore up the faithful in his diocese. Powerful 
documents. I encourage everyone to go read them for yourselves. Um, in fact, I narrated his seven epistles when he was on his way to be eaten by lions in Rome. I narrated them back in 2007 because I thought they were so powerful that they would influence many people to understand the how Catholic the early church, in fact, was. In fact, uh, we see, I'm looking at, there's a comment here on YouTube side. I'm, I'm blind. I'm sorry. I have to put the Arelli on. says on YouTube, hello, blessed, uh, blessed day to you all. Uh, we are loving the books. Praise be to God. And uh, Lori on Facebook uh, oh. said that she loves Catholic history. It's very interesting. Yes. So, so Arelli, absolutely. she was one of our prize winners. She must have gotten oh, her, that's right. her prize then. Congratulations, yes. Arelli. I'm so glad you're enjoying them. But yeah, I think every Catholic at some point in their lives should read the early church fathers. I mean, St. Justin Martyr writing about the first Catholic Mass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, His, my uh, goodness. It's the, sort of the latter part of the first apology he wrote in... Uh, in about 150 A.D., 125 A.D., somewhere in there. he his Early second century. His head was chopped off because he was a martyr for the faith, convert uh, actually to the faith, but he was so sick and tired of seeing uh, 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 the persecution, and he wrote his letter to the, the Roman Curia and to the emperor's son in particular to, to give a defense for the faith. And the issue was the Mass was, was, was not open to, to anyone. I mean, talk about going back to Cardinal mm-hmm. uh, Corleone's uh, conversation right. today. We had in our What's Concerning Us section this article, Archbishop Corleone. Catholics must recover idea of worthiness to receive communion. Igne- uh, St. Justin the Martyr, when he describes the Mass to a T in the second, early 2nd second century, the reason why he's doing that is because the Mass was behind closed doors. Catechumens were not able to go. You had to be baptized uh, in order to be admitted to Holy Mass, and not everyone received, and that was an important part. Not just anyone could receive our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. There was a process you had to go through, and you had to attain to the faith and receive the sacraments before you got there. And um, it's a powerful realization when you go back and read that, and to see it so clearly detailed, that whole, wow, the Holy Mass was there present uh, so early on, you realize that this is not something people made up. This is, as St. Paul said, I, I handed on. St. Paul was so very clear in First oh, Corinthians. Yes. You know, I handed on, which I was given, very particular. I, I'm not going to shuck my duties here. I'm going to give on to the next uh, priest, the next bishop, the Holy Mass, the, to pass on to the faithful. It, you realize that. You see that in the early church fathers. Yeah. It's so powerful. And not just the early church fathers. I've always found it so ironic that Protestants really love St. Paul. Because if you read St. Paul correctly, it's thoroughly, thoroughly Catholic. And on today's topic, for example, we forgot to mention... In 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. Therefore, whosoever shall eat this bread or drink this chalice of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. Yeah. Paul was Catholic. Yeah. Even he said, do not receive unworthily. Yeah. But how many times have I received unworthily? Mm. You know, ha- have I prepared myself properly to receive our Lord? Mm-hmm. How do I take it uh, too casually? And I have to say, I'm, I'm, I've been guilty of that. Absolutely. And one thing that, uh, real quick, the on Facebook, Francis uh, says, uh, listening to 97.9 in Kerrville as we travel to San Angelo. Well, oh. praise be to Jesus Christ, 97.9 in Kerrville. That's awesome. San yeah. Angelo. Uh, but uh, back to what we were saying a second ago, the one thing that I really like about uh, the traditional Mass 
is the fact that one typically they have if you're going to like a fraternity parish kind of uh, place they have uh, priests that are in the confessional during mass yes. and before mass so you're able to go to confession right before going to mass right before yes. receiving the Eucharist we love yes. that and yeah. then on top of that they do two confidiors, which uh, for those who don't know, is the uh, I confess to Almighty God, to Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, to St. Peter's and Paul, and so on and so forth. And then the priest uh, d- absolves them from their sins, which absolves them from all their venial sins, not from mortal sins, from venial sins. And so that prepares you for actually attending Mass. And then through Mass, you know, sometimes during Mass, we get distracted and we get, we start thinking of other things and maybe, uh, someone is singing really badly next to you and you all of a sudden you get really angry. Why are you looking at um, me when you say that? I, I didn't say it, but I also didn't wow. not say Did it, you know? <laughs> but well, the, uh, the thing that's important is that at, right before receiving communion, right before receiving, re- receiving communion, they do a second confidior. And then the priest absolves them again a second time. <laughs> just in case to, you've sinned. Just in case in you between. committed venial sins in between the beginning of Mass and receiving yeah. communion. And that <laughs> emphasizes the point of how important it is to be spotless before receiving communion. Yeah, live in a state of grace. And, you know, um, I just gave a talk to the Virtual Catholic Men's Conference, which will launch on February the 19th through the 21st. So I recorded my talk and, and all the speakers, and there's some pretty incredible speakers on the list. Uh, so you can check that out at go.virtualcatholicconference.com. However, um, this is one of the points that I make. in uh, My talk was on fatherhood, heroic leadership, the power to make and break families, uh, the, the immense responsibility God has given to fathers, and how we can make and break families, and I gave some examples of that. But one of the, on the upside is the examples of the saints and how they demonstrate to us what we can and cannot do in order to build incredible families, families that are, that are geared and angled towards the divine and heaven and eternity. And living in a state of grace is like your number one takeaway, right? I go to confession very frequently. And you make a great point, Adrian. The fact that we can go to confession before Mass every single Sunday, if we if we wanted to, it's so awesome. I can't tell you how I love, love, love that. Mm-hmm. At a minimum, once a month, but every couple of weeks. At a minimum, weeks, every bi-weekly is what I say. Every couple of weeks. And I got to say, though, as a husband and as a dad, if I haven't been to confession in a month, you can tell. My family is mm-hmm. is just there's there's tension, you know. Uh, there's lots of co- contentious conversations, arguments that happen in the house. Uh, you know, everything is going in a, not a good way. And it's every I go to confession and things tend to get better. Uh, so dads, one of the greatest things you can do for your family is just go to confession more frequently. And of course, you pre- you're better prepared to receive Holy Communion as as well. And you're also more fortified with spiritual graces to uh, face the world and the contentiousness of our world around us. You know, one of the other things that I, uh, we were, t- I think we talked about this the other day. You might have, you might have mentioned this, Adrian, in regards to the supposed great angelic doctor, St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, unquote. Supposed. You know, he's uh, listening to the, you. The alleged. <laughs> the alleged. Uh, 
asking our guardian angels to ha- to intercede for very practical things in yes. our in our life. Who was mentioning that? Was it you? Oh, yeah, Adrian said he asks his angel to wake him up in the morning. Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. The gar- having a relationship with your guardian angel is incredibly important because your guardian angel really does interact with you. He he and he wants <laughs> he wants you to interact with them. Uh, don't fall into the trap of naming your guardian angel because yes. naming uh, is name. a is Her. a yeah it's it. a, it's an ownership of thing. That's why yeah. you name your dog, but you and you <laughs> name your children, uh, but your children don't name their parents. They don't name right. your angels because, like we say in the guardian angel prayer, to light, to guard, to rule, to guide. They are the ones that are ruling and guiding us. Yeah. And so we should pray to them and ask them to rule and guide us. Uh, so often if I'm like needing to wake up and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I'll be waking up in time for this. I'll say, Blessed Virgin Mary, Guardian Angel, please get me up at this time. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, uh, just about every single time I'll wake up like exactly whenever I uh, ask them to wake me up. So it's pretty awesome. When I uh, in my early days, after I gave my fiat to the Lord and the Catholic faith, it, it was on the issue of the Holy Eucharist and how how intentional Jesus was about the Eucharist and the Gospels. I did a, a word for word study in the original Greek, uh, and I kind of came to a conclusion that oh wow, he's being this is it. And I compared that to early church fathers and then a Catholic apologist like Scott Hahn, and I said yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What I struggled with was, after that, was Our Lady, the saints, the angels, and the Pope. And I remember just saying, Lord, I need help with these other issues. I'm not sure. And I remember trying to pray the rosary, and I, I, was, I felt so odd that I was, pr- like I was alone in my car, and I was pl- praying in the plural, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. And I just thought to myself, that is so odd. I'm the only one here. Why am I praying our and, and we? And, and so I, I would change the words to me and my. And then um, I remember it was something Scott Hahn said about Christ did not die just to give you himself. He died to give you more than himself, to give you himself plus plus. He died to, and he gave you his mother. He gave you his father. He gave you his, his church, the bride of Christ. You have a family you're a part of. And of course, you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We are so, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And it was that realization that I belong to this great family. Uh, John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. You know, if you're a branch in heaven and you're a branch on earth, you're connected by the same vine, Jesus Christ. So we are connected to the saints that have gone before us and the angelic beings that God has created. And I've, be, I've grown ever since those years, so many years ago, to appreciate and to love the family of God that he, has, uh, that he has given to us so graciously, so generously. But I have to say, in the waning moments of our time today, that in my relationship with the guardian angel has been the hardest because I've, I just don't, I felt like I didn't have much of a relationship with my guardian angel. So I am growing in this regard and depending upon my guardian angel more and more. Um, and uh, it's been a difficult process to relate to an angelic being that I can't see or hear because of my lack of, 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 of grace or holiness, personal holiness. Unlike St. Padre Pio, who could see and talk to his guardian angel all the time. I have yet a lot of work to do. But uh, at any rate, any final thoughts before we have to sign off today? No, great day today. Great yeah, conversation. Uh, Adrian, uh, great guest today, Duncan Stroik. We enjoyed our conversation. Yes. Yeah, um, I'd like to have him back to uh, talk about maybe one of these issues instead of throwing four or five different totally different topics at him. It'd be good to have him on and talk about uh, one particular thing at a time. <laughs>
Myra on uh, YouTube says, good morning. We started last year a tradition where we go to confession and dinner as a family once a month. It's challenging sometimes to get everyone together, but we do our best. Praise. Praise God. We love to hear that. That is, uh, that's a great tradition. And persevere no matter how difficult it is. We pray the rosary every night and my four-year-old is off the walls, but... We persevered nonetheless. And thank you, Zach, on Facebook. Yeah, my friend Zach just commented, loved it, guys. Praise be to God. We That's love you too, That's going to do it today for Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We hope you'll join us tomorrow morning. We'll have another great conversation, another great guest, and so much more, plus three more chances to win the prize pack this week in our Catholic Trivia Game Show. So tune in tomorrow. And if you want to be the contestant, you got to be the first caller. So get the phone number early, get it ready, and get it prepared to be dialing those numbers as soon as we mention it tomorrow morning right here on Catholic Drive Time 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. We'll see you then. God love you. God bless you. Bye now. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.